TBCC episode 33, my realization of the day. As per the film being discussed today, I realized a lot of Christmas song lyrics make good horror movie titles. Better watch out. Silent Night, Deadly Night. So I've decided my eventual holiday horror will be my take on Baby It's Cold Outside. Not adapting Neptune's Daughter, the 1940s film, but spinning it into the psychopathic horror story that it truly is. Ooh, I can't wait. Let's start the episode. Krimbus, bitches. We got another one for you. <coughs> hello, hello. It's your boy, Devon Taylor, aka underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram, and this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It's a horror podcast where we dive into the subgenres of horror through my very stoned and glazy eyes as we uh, try to, you know, expand the horror genre as much as we can while talking about some of our favorite films and I'm joined by special guests uh, usually every week and this one is a very special one because I love getting to talk to directors on the podcast. These are probably my favorite episodes of the podcast wherever I get to talk to a filmmaker about a film that I love and then, you know, kind of get their perspective from it. Usually a few years after, they're a little bit removed from it, you know, not doing like the new release type of interview. This is where we really get to learn some stuff about the films. And um, I had a great conversation with Chris Peckover, the director of Better Watch Out. That is the film that we're talking about today. And we recorded this actually a couple months ago, just because as some filmmakers are, Chris is a busy guy, so he was like, hey, I would love to talk better, watch out, but like, could we record it um, around October now? And I was like, yeah, for sure. I was like, I'll, we'll record it, and then I'll save it till December. So it's kind of funny, um, me listening back whenever I was um, editing the podcast. But anyways, it's a really great conversation, and I learned quite a bit about the film, um, you know, just some of his, um, you know, his thought process behind um, some of the characters and the story beats and themes uh, presented in the film. And I reiterate it in the conversation that this is a movie that you guys um, do not want to get spoiled for you. So if you have not seen the film, make sure you go and watch the film before you listen to the rest of this episode because you're going to learn all sorts of uh, really cool BTS goodies and, you know, little Easter eggs hidden throughout the film. And it's uh, and the film in general is like a film like you have to know nothing about it, like going in and that will give you the best experience. Um, I realize a lot of people are kind of rewatching it, you know, not only because it's December, um, but then the horror queers, they just came out with an episode about Better Watch Out. And it started um, some interesting uh, conversation on the horror Twitter sphere and um you know there's a there's a lot of uh dialogue to be had about this film and um you know kind of looking back on it three years later 
um, especially because the film did come out around the time of like the Me Too movement and um, Chris, you know, does tout this movie as a feminist horror film, and I definitely, after the conversation with him, I definitely, um, do agree there, um, and I think our conversation might answer, you know, some questions that people might have about, um, you know, some of the, uh, muddled themes, you know, that can be seen throughout the film, um, you know, maybe if, um, you know, you see it, you know, it's all, film is all about perspective, you know, and this is just his perspective, um, on, you know, one subject, you know, who's to say if he did it correctly or incorrectly, you know, but, um, I think it's a, um, it's a very great film and I think, um, it definitely hits the themes that it's going for, but also, you know, I don't think, you know, it was, he definitely wasn't going in to make this like a statement piece though you know he has things to say but that's not all the film is trying to do for you in this case so that's what I really love about Better Watch Out so anyways enough about that let's just go ahead and get to that conversation with Chris um see you guys on the other side All right, guys, we are back. It is the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, and we have our special guest joining us today. Um, we are talking all sorts of wintry time holiday horrors, and um, we have the director of one of the one of my favorite hidden gems that I found over the past few years into the holiday horror canon, and it is Chris Peckover. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's oh. funny we're we're doing a, a a Christmas movie talk and it's like 99 degrees outside right now. <laughs> I know, right now. I know, right. Peek behind the curtain, guys. We are recording this way in advance. <laughs> um, it is still in, in in my brain. It is still. Um, I'm thinking cold thoughts for this one. Uh, very cold thoughts. But uh, but yeah, I'm uh, so glad you were able to come by because these are like kind of my favorite episodes to do is whenever I actually get to speak with the director and the filmmaker about their film and, you know, kind of talk about it and, you know, not just like the, the press release format when it first comes out, but then also, you know, being able to like kind of get into the nitty gritty. So I'm really glad you uh, took the time out to come on the show. Of course. Yeah, so before we get into um, Chris's film, which is Better Watch Out, um, we will kind of get a little background from Chris and uh, see what his movie taste is like. So I saw that your uh, film before Better Watch Out, because Better Watch Out was your second film, correct? You got it, yeah. And then, so your first film was Undocumented, which I need to watch. I didn't realize you had done a found footage movie and found footage is like one of my secondary like favorite subgenres. Yeah, it was I mean, it was back in we shot it in 2009. Uh didn't get it released to like 2011. Um mm-hmm. and it, it's funny, it's it's about a like documentary crew that follows a group of Mexican illegal immigrants across the border to kind of like show what their lives are like and what their hopes and dreams are. And on the U.S. side, they all get captured by these, like, renegade Minuteman patriots who then drive them out to a compound in the middle of the desert and and not – there's a U-Haul that they're all hidden in, so they don't know there's a documentary crew in there. So when these patriots discover there's a documentary crew, they're like, all right, we will let you guys go, but first we want you to 
film what we do here so we can send those tapes back to Mexico to make sure no one wants to cross anymore. Oh, how timely. And, well, it's funny when, when it came out in 2010, people were like, wah, wah, you know, like, and I, I feel like it, we made it way too, or too early because mm-hmm. a lot of people have been discovering it this past year or two and being like, oh my God, why didn't this come out now? Right. Um, Isn't that the way, I mean, you know, the life imitates art, art imitates life back and forth, you know, and it's just weird how that works out, like how movies over time can become, you know, more relevant and like, that's just crazy. It's like you had no idea that it was going to be to where it is right now. I mean, I knew it was going to get worse. I was from, I'm, I'm from Texas. Mm. I, I grew up in Texas and th- like the number of people I call them backyard villains in this movie, because I feel like everyone in their backyard in their barbecue would say things that the, the bad guys in this movie would say. Mm. They're not like outright evil speaking, but they always talk with like political points. Mm-hmm. And you're always like, yeah, I get your statistics, but like, <laughs> you're still an asshole. Oh um, yeah. We I- predicted like the movie, the way they deal with the families that they, they capture is they separate the children from the parent. Like I predicted things that ended up happening and it, it, I'm not proud of it, but Ooh. it was, it's kind of scary. If you watch the movie now, how, how much it, it predicted. Oh, I'm definitely going to check it out now because yeah, like just the, the weirdness of how it like came back around and like, it's just too interesting. And I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Missouri. So, I mean, I definitely know those type of backyard villains that you talk about, you know, I've seen those people. I've lived next to those people, you know, like, oh yeah, that's, that's so crazy. But so that was your first, uh, your first feature. And then you followed it up with another horror film. So have you always been a horror guy? Was this always um, your intent to want to make horror films? Yeah, I mean, I I'm sure I'll I'll make a little bit of everything in my life, but um, you know, as you know, living in the Midwest, when you're growing up, especially as a guy, guys guys in the Midwest, especially when we're teenagers, they're not the best at like connecting with each other or emoting very mm-hmm. much you know you're usually really stoic just kind of like hanging out and mm-hmm. being broish and minimalist and i think the reason why i was pulled to horror so much is the times i felt most connected with my friends was when we'd come out of a horror movie and suddenly everyone would be gushing at each other like remember when da-da-da-da? and it's like everyone got excited and opened up mm-hmm. oh my god i was so scared you know and it was for me it was like actually really connective experience like oh wow we were all vulnerable in each other's company and kind of like survived something together and there was Mm -hmm. like a little it's hard to describe but it it was always very connective yeah i mean i I, that totally makes sense and that like already gets me excited to like talk some more things about better watch out as far as uh, masculinity goes We'll get to plenty of that. So like <laughs> now, set up for that. now I'm connecting the dots and, and yeah, yeah, like it is interesting that like, you know, boys growing up. Yeah. It's like they open up in these like weird ways. And like, that is such an interesting way. Cause like you said, to put them in a vulnerable state, because like whenever you're a teenage boy, that's when you're like trying to be the least vulnerable possible. You know, you are the hardest and you are the coolest and so that does kind of make sense of, yeah, being able to be like, okay, let me put all of us in this situation where it's like, okay, we're going to be scared together. Like right. your guards down, you learn things about, 
your friends like about you know what their greatest fears are and things like that so yeah oh yeah that totally makes sense and now i can see <laughs> i can i see the dots connected now and i i love that um but yeah like when like what was what's one of your like earliest horror memories with your friends oh god um i for my 16th birthday i mean i i was like i i my friends were all the like nerds i was definitely in the nerd uh, nerd chic of, of my high school and i remember for my 16th birthday we we rented event horizon and none of them liked horror movies and i kind of like and event horizon gets pretty pretty gory and pretty kind of like weird it, it's weird <laughs> and i just remember everyone was so scared that they were like constantly trying to make jokes I know those people. Yeah. You know, like where, where you're trying, you're trying to like, again, trying to be masculine by, by hiding that you're scared and trying to change the tone of the room, even though you are, it was, that's one of my favorite memories. We all, we all still talk about that movie. Like what were, (laughs) this was not a group that watched horror. I think that's another thing. I love making people watch horror Mm, movies. that don't that don't want oh yeah yeah yeah. like one like throws people it does and i love how you mentioned like the people that make jokes to like kind of throw off the movie like trying to break the tension within the room yeah totally and i remember i because like i hated watching movies with those friends because i was the (laughs) one i was like come on you're ruining the spooks what are you doing you know so like i always got annoyed by those people and then um and see it's kind of funny like i have like now that you know horror has kind of become cool again to even non-horror people you know obviously horror fans have always loved it but you know uh, there's been a little bit more respect and prestige put upon horror lately in the past couple of years so i do have a lot more friends that aren't typically horror people that are now watching stuff and they text me and they're like oh wait have you seen this yet or like or like hey what's your take on this and like i absolutely love that that like i have people coming to me now like that are wanting to explore the genre more finally (laughs) yeah like i had to i had to put one of my i put one of my friends on blast on twitter because she texted me and she had just gotten done what uh she had just gotten done watching Candyman, which i was also watching before the recording of this podcast ironically um and Candyman's one of my favorite movies ever and she texted me and she was like shitting on it she was like oh my god i like i that was so dumb i was blah, blah blah i don't understand anything and she was like going on and on you know and i was just like oh my heart my heart but she was like she was so cool about like so whenever i like was like okay here's like the counterpoint to some of the questions you have or some of the concerns and then like kind of break it down and especially you know coming from me that she was like oh okay like you know i still don't love it but I'm, I like your perspective on it. I like hearing your perspective. So it's like, I love that I have even friends that are like, yeah. you know, that are like willing to like want to learn and like look at horror a little bit differently. Well, that, that's a great movie. Talking about like making people feel uncomfortable because I feel like Tony Todd's character in that is this weird, like it's, he's scary and sexual at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And it makes it, you know, it, it it's kind of like this confronting juxtaposition that makes 
it's certainly uncomfortable. Even even for a horror audience, I feel like that was pretty uncomfortable with his kind of like fur coat. Like there was a, there was a sexuality to him. Yeah, I mean, um, I that, I call him a bra- a black Dracula. Like he's very much he was Dracula. You know, and especially the other sexual bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. And like, kind of funny, like when you look at that film, and yeah, like people's perceptions, you know, especially when it came to being a white woman going into, you know, the ghetto and then kind of experiencing those things. And it was kind of the mm-hmm. same way of my friend that was like, you know, asking me about that film. She's a white girl, and she texted me, and it was like, oh, well, now I kind of see that, you know, a little bit differently, right. you know. So I, I love that people have been coming around more and. Um, it's it's a great time to be a horror fan right now. Like it just really and is. I see what you're doing, Devon, with with the uh, Virginia Madsen connection. I know. How did that happen? <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, we of Very course we'll talk, of course we'll talk Miss Madsen. So to kind of give um the audience a little bit of. Um, what your taste in movies are or what you've been watching because I, obviously everybody's been watching a shit ton of movies lately. Um, so did you have a couple recommendations for the audience of maybe a recent watch or just something that might not be as uh, well known? So I'm going to give you a, a new one and an oldie. Yes, please. Um, Mix it up. So the new one, I went to Beyond Fest um, Monday or last Monday. Oh, I'm totally losing... I think it was last, last Monday. Yeah. Last Monday. And I saw uh, this great movie by Jim Cummins called um, uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Ooh, I've been Actually, hearing... it was a double feature with, with bad hair also. Um, Justin Simeon's bad hair. And I, I, loved, I loved both, but I particularly was transported by the wolf of snow hollow um i know this is i know i'm gonna get so much hate mail for saying this um but i think it might be my favorite werewolf movie Ooh! like even more than that one <laughs> Ooh! or that one interesting yeah. I've heard, I've been hearing so much good about that movie, and I've been one of the people for years that's saying, like, we need more werewolf movies. Like, it's a just, hard genre to do. I, yeah, it's, it's kind oh. of interesting, like, and in trying to find the right angles to take with it. And, the, um, I'm excited for this, this one's one. kind of got like a quirky, it's almost like Fargo meets American Werewolf in London, is the, is the best I can put it. Oh. Like what makes it good isn't the werewolf part. It's actually the character stuff surrounding the the detective work and and the police work trying to find the werewolf and identify him or her. It's great. You'll love it. Ooh, I like that. I like a because I think that's the key to like a werewolf movie is like mixing up the subgenres with it. Like you can't totally. really do just like a straight up wolfman movie anymore. And I think that is like, and I mean, really, that's what they've been kind of doing with like a lot of like the other Universal Monster movies, like going forward. I'm thinking, like, you know, after we kind of had, you know, the Invisible Man kind of change things up a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very excited for that one whenever um, it does get distribution. Hopefully, uh, by the time this episode comes out, we'll actually know like a date on when that'll be coming out. But uh, what's your other one? the the wolf of snow hollow um we're we're recording in october and i think it just hit like uh vod i'm sure it'll be streaming oh it is on vod sweet yeah 
Um, so the old one is just one that I hadn't seen since I was a teenager and it was so much better now that I've kind of been making movies for a while. Um, it's don't look now. Mm. Yeah. Which don't look now. It's, it, it reminds me of audition where it's like, it's kind of boring for most of the movie. And you're not mm-hmm. really, you know, like, and all the horror is kind of coming from different angles. Like there's, there's, a, 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 you know, a, a woman who can, who has premonitions about the future and there's a child dying and there's, there's like a murderer in uh, Venice and there's all these disparate elements that don't really feel like they're connecting. And in the last five minutes, it all connects and it's such a kick to the balls. Um, it's, uh, and looking back, they they didn't want you to know what the movie was about until the very end. And looking back, like everything about the visuals, the editing, the sound design, everything is without giving any. I'm not giving anything away, but like look for the echoes, the visual and auditory echoes in the movie, hmm. and see how that relates to the reveal at the end. It was just. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager, I saw it. And I was like, yeah, it was good, but it was kind of weird and messy and this time around i'm like it's it's a genius movie it's really good that's like one of my favorite rewatches like of lately is like like you said like once you kind of know a little bit more about filmmaking and writing and things like that and then revisiting a movie and then like seeing like i love having that like you know as i've been like learning more and more about the craft and then i'm like oh my god like yeah like i was not ready to appreciate that yet you know I did the same thing with AI. I know AI, AI isn't a horror movie, but I rewatched it. And I remember the first time around being like, yeah, it was pretty good. And now I'm like, it's deep. I don't know whether it's the times that have changed or I've changed, or I'm now at the age where a lot of my friends are parents. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that movie was like a perfect five out of five for me also. So. I think it's, I think it's sci-fi movies do definitely like change their meaning up like big time once one time has changed, you know, because they're mm. already kind of distant from a time that they're looking at. And then once it like kind of gets closer to that, you know, it's like, as we're kind of seeing a bunch of like, you know, it's 2020 right now and like mm. going into 2021 and like, you know, we're starting to see like movies from in the eighties and nineties, their future is set in the year 2023 and it's like <laughs> shit that's literally right around the corner so it's like the future you know so i think it's sci-fi movies in general just like kind of have that weird effect agreed yeah so for my watches my watches um one of them kind of ties into what we're talking about today so i'll save that one um one is a film that i saw a fi- it was like a few years ago at a overlook film festival and it just got added to shutter recently and um, people have been watching it uh, quite a bit. Is um, a movie called Like Me, and it's, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's really good. It stars uh, Addison Timlin and Larry Fessenden, and it's um, it's another one of those movies that like this released in 2017, and even then was like pretty timely. But like now, where things are at with you know like social media, TikTok, live streaming, things like that, and social media where we're kind of at with that now this movie kind of like takes another you know light in the way that people do have influence online but then Hmm. also it kind of takes a look at the way that people make connections online it just happens in this movie that this friendship comes out of just 
the most crazy, ridiculous circumstances. And, um, and it's, it's really interesting. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, definitely like one of those movies you like feel like you're on drugs while you're watching it because like the editing is so just like bombastic and in your face, but it fits because it's like, you know, taking a look at a YouTuber, you know, essentially. And, um, so I won't say too much about it, but I definitely recommend it. It's on Shudder as of the recording of this. And it is a, um, it's like 85 minutes and I absolutely love Addison Timlin. Um, she's popped up in quite a few different genre films here and there. So absolutely love that one. And then one that kind of, um, fits into, um, a field of Better Watch Out that we're talking about as far as like, you know, movies that, subvert your expectations on you know what's happening you know who the true antagonists are you know in that kind of vein is a movie called villains that came out last year um you've seen this one yes um for for the audience it is uh directed by robert olson and dan burke and it stars uh, Bill Skarsgård and Michael Monroe, I mean, talk about a like you know power couple of you know like some of the rising stars right now absolutely love both of them and they both are you know doing big things in the genre film world and um and it also stars um Jeffrey Donovan and Kira Sedwig I mean it's just fantastic for the audience um it's a Bonnie and Clyde you know they're on the run they're trying to do a thing one last job before riding off into the sunset yada 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 you know that part and then they stop off in a house um whenever their car breaks down and the couple that they visit is not the couple they wanted to visit as you meet this um, so just uh, this couple that is not exactly as they appear and the tables are turned and the power dynamics are shifted. And um, and it's just like this really cool back and forth. They have like really great character moments between them, though, like the four main cast members are just so great <laughs> together, like the chemistry from all four of them. And, um, like, you know, just the different moments that you see in between it and, um, you know, seeing how fast a situation can turn on someone. Um, so I would also highly recommend seeking out the movie villains. It is a pretty, pretty good one, but those are pretty good. Yeah. These are some, so you guys should have quite a few recommendations to add to your list. So let's go ahead and get to the movie conversation. Better Watch Out, released in 2017, directed by our special guest, Chris Peckover, originally titled Safe Neighborhood, described on IMDb as On a Quiet Suburban Street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. I'd say they did a good job of... From most of the blurbs that I've read whenever I, like, did it, most of the descriptions keep it under wraps what's really going on here. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so this movie, um, first of all, where did the uh, original title come from, and then when did you make the switch? We made the switch after we'd finished shooting the movie and when we started talking to... Well, I've got a story about the how the marketing happened, but um, the title... Honestly, the title came from the guy who originally wrote it. Zach Kahn and I didn't kind of, like write it together it was more like the producers brought the script to me at the time it was scary entertaining but it was kind of it went in a different direction the uh, the twist happened 
near the end of the movie and then it kind of became almost kind of like a torture porn mm. um and i read it and you know having when, when you watch undocumented you'll see i i i went i was i was not and that's not a movie that's you're supposed to watch and be entertained by like i it was 2010 i saw racism was getting worse and i was kind of trying to kick people in the teeth a little bit mm-hmm. so safe neighborhood the script comes along and like oh you can do kicking the teeth brutality and i was like i can but i kind of i i, I worry i'm not gonna have a career <laughs> if i keep if i keep making movies that uh that horrify people and and rattle them to the bone i, I love i love surprising people mm-hmm. and i love sh- you know I, I still like shaking people but not not in the way that the the script was originally. So I kind of approached Zach and I was like, listen, I, with your blessing, I'd love to kind of shift this where the, that twist that I know we're going to be dancing around for a second about doesn't happen 60 minutes in, but it happens like 30 or 35 minutes in. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to make the tone. I, I basically was like, I don't know if it's possible to have a feminist movie where a girl is tied up for a kind of a big chunk of the movie with mm-hmm. her mouth duct taped. But I was like, I'm, I'm, I'd love to, I'd love to challenge us and see, is it possible to like be feminist with such a non-feminist situation? And that was kind of where it all went to, I guess. I think, I think you definitely pulled that off and, and we'll kind of get to that when I talk a little bit more about the character of Ashley and the way you guys did approach her. So to say that, yes, I think you definitely achieved what you were going for there because it definitely has a very strong feminist message behind it. And and I do like that it I like movies that feel like like multiple movies. Like I like mm-hmm. the idea of like, you know, you have the first 30, 40 minutes is one thing and then it's like, boom, this is a completely different movie now by just changing one thing. And I always find that, like, super interesting. So, um, we do have um, the babysitter, uh, Ashley, played by Olivia DeJong. And we have our main um, character, Luke, the 12-year-old in question, played by Levi Miller. Um, I noticed it is a um, all-Australian cast, uh, minus Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen. Um, how did, how did that come along? Cause I was confused. Cause I was like, wait, is Chris Australian? And I didn't know. I was like, um, yes, I am. And we shot it in Sydney, Australia. And that's why it's got an all Australian cast. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Except for the two parents. Yeah. Um, wait. I'm, I'm half Canadian, half Australian. And that ends up being a, a pretty useful combination. Cause those are two of the countries that have the best tax incentives for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that okay, that worked out perfectly. I mean, and it you totally just like lucked out with this Australian cast being incredible though. Like they all worked out so well together cuz you had, you know, uh Olivia DeJong and Ed Oxenbold did work together on the visit. So it's like they already kind of had some rapport going there. And then mm-hmm. uh Levi Miller is like, you know, the the key to this movie, you know, working mm-hmm. the way it does. And I mean, it's just um, everybody is fantastic. Even, you know, uh, Dacre Montgomery just coming in for like a hot minute, you know, <laughs> brings so much 
to the table. And then uh, Alex, uh, how do you say his last name? McKeek? Mikich. Mikich. Um, as uh, Ricky, also, like, really good, like, for the limited moments that he had as well. So it was like this cast was just like fantastic and then of course you know getting Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen in there for a little bit is um always a welcome treat to see those two on screen together yeah I I I felt very lucky after we'd finished casting I kind of looked back and I was like I think I just cast all the best teenage actors in Australia right now on the same movie straight up and 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 looking back at at Zach's original script and kind of like where we took it, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot because the rule the 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 role of Luke is in hindsight so so hard to pull off. And I don't know if this movie would have worked if we hadn't gotten someone of of Levi's caliber because he he has to do a lot for a twelve year old. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. like so <laughs> so good. So we will. I think we've tiptoed enough because I want to actually get into the film. So this is your guys' last warning. If you have not seen this film, please pause the episode, go watch the movie, and then come back and then listen to the rest of this episode because you don't want to have this movie spoiled for you. Like, this is one of those movies... I mean, I will say the trailer did cut pretty well and also um, hit it pretty good. So, I mean, I think you're safe on the trailer, but you just don't want to know anything about this movie, guys. So, last one. This, this is one of those movies that specifically the less you know going in, the better experience it is. And we're about to go deep dive spoiler territory now. So, please, please turn off if you're planning on watching the movie and haven't seen it yet. All right. There you go. You heard it from the man himself. We are going in. So, this movie, because this... um. We'll intro into um to one recurring segment that we do have for the show. That's called the genre grinder, and that's where we take you know this horror movie that we're already talking about, and in the month we already kind of go into one subgenre. But now we're gonna go even deeper in. So we're obviously talking holiday and like wintertime horror movies right now. So we will take it in a little bit more in that we do have a home invasion movie in a sense. Um, from if the home was invaded from the inside out. And then you also kind of have this, um, there's, I really like the sub corner of a babysitter horror. I think it's always just like very interesting, especially when you can explore the dynamic between the babysitter and the one that they are tasked to protect, you know, in normal circumstances is the case. So I really like that we have the flip in there. So basically, we have this movie where you think they are getting um, robbed or, you know, stalked from the outside. And there's lots of misdirects at the beginning as well that kind of layer this in. And then it turns out that it was all a prank planned by um, Luke and Garrett to try and scare Ashley into liking him because he has a crush on his babysitter. And then Luke goes off the rails, everybody. Um, it turns out Luke is also a psychopath and he um, was not happy in the way that his plan went. And now he is just full blown. Uh, he goes like, I, I called this movie and, and I don't mean immature in a bad way, but it's like the immature funny games is kind of the way that I look at it. And like, cause like the way that Levi turned, like 
the the character work that's going on with uh, Luke here is just like incredible. So yes, the way I think you planned it out so well that to put the twist earlier in because it just worked out for the pacing so well and then like really letting that story unfold a little bit. So so yeah, so go ahead and take us into like now this is a completely different movie. So like what were some of like the subgenre stuff you were going for here? Well, it's funny if the movie like to me the home invasion part wasn't the interesting part. In fact, my my theory and I don't you know like we'll see if it worked or not, but my theory was make it exciting, but not too exciting. I wanted the audience to kind of like be sitting in their seats being like, I know where this is going. Like, I, I get it because the best time to, to twist someone's arm is when they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, the meat of the movie is everything after the twist because it's, you know, th- that, that setup with a 12 year old who, you know, wants to see if he can kiss his babysitter if he can get away with kissing her maybe they'll even have sex i feel like that's a very john hughes opening mm-hmm. kind of like oh young teenage awkward love and so on and my, my goal with the movie was for it to feel like a john hughes movie that then gets yanked by quentin tarantino mm-hmm. um <laughs> and so as far as genres are concerned like the babysit you know like how many like meatballs all these comedies about like teenagers trying to get with you know, the older girl and so on. I wanted that to be this relatable thing that you're laughing at. A lot of the guys in the audience are like, oh, I remember, mm-hmm. I remember having that crush on my, my older babysitter. And then to make them feel terrible about that in the second half of the movie, realizing like, oh, maybe that's actually like a really fucked up fantasy or thing that you relate to. And I kind of yeah. wanted to, to step on people's balls a little bit for for anyone who was was kind of like rooting for for Levi to to kiss Ashley, um, because it is it is about the movie. The subtext of the movie is all about the toxic masculinity of all the all the guys, but particularly Luke. Yeah, and it's like, and in the st- and it works out like so well between before and after the twist because like you still have. Luke, this character that's trying to be taken seriously, he's trying to prove that he's mature, that he's older, you know, and that he knows things and all this stuff, you know, so he's already doing that, and then after the twist happens, it's still him trying to do that, but now in this, you know, warped, twisted way now of, like, now it's a control fear thing that he's going for instead of just, like, you know, trying to get her approval and trying to get that kiss and yeah, cause we all like, we have been there before and it like, it did exactly that. Like there was like, you know, like one line, like they were like kind of having a moment, you know, and you're like, uh, it was them watching the movie on the couch and it's like, oh my gosh, like I know what it's like whenever you're like your arms touch when you're watching the movie, you know, and like, that's your, oh, yep, she's into it. Like, that's the green light, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, and then, then you're watching it. And you're just like, oh, my God, this is very uncomfortable. And I feel bad for babysitters everywhere. You know, like they have a, they, they they are like bartenders, like watching drunk people, but they don't get like paid as much. <laughs> Nearly as much. Um, yes. The baby, the babysitter subgenre is a really fun one because it, it was fun to upend 
those expectations and kind of look at it from from a modern perspective. Interestingly, um, the, the timing, whereas the timing of Undocumented couldn't have been worse, like it came out a decade before things actually started getting that bad. The timing of Better Watch Out couldn't have been better. We premiered a month after Me Too happened, mm-hmm. like the Me Too movement happened. And so I, I I say the toxic masculinity of the movie is a subtext, you know, like a lot of people um, in, in the, in the year that it was in the like indie festival circuit and so on, they weren't seeing people, it as subtext at all. Pe- people weren't seeing it, but as soon as me too happened and that's right when all the, the majority of reviews came out, I think part of the reason why it's so highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes is every reviewer was like, Oh my God, this movie, it's like the, the minor, you know, not nearly as successful or zeitgeisty as popular as Get Out, but it was kind of doing the same thing of taking a modern kind of like social issue and and turning it into horror. Um, and again, like t- t- I, I, I was hoping if people caught it, great, but it just so happened to come out right when everyone everyone was going to catch it. Yeah, I remember I was one of the reviewers that did that for the movie whenever, because um, I reviewed this movie for Nightmare on Film Street was the first time I saw it. And I mean, that was like, just as you said, like, it was just like at the right perfect time that I was just like, oh my God, this is the movie that people want right now. Like, this is like crazy. what they need. And, and it came through just like so perfectly because it's not like, it's also like not beating you over the head or anything. There's no... There's no like dialogue that's like trying to be quippy and like smart alecky, you know, like that's not there. Like everything is just play for what it is. And instead you get some of this other stuff, you know, just in the acting alone for the most part, like, you know, just the the different levels that Levi brought to the role in like kind of from the beginning sequence where he's explaining his plan to Garrett and he's just talking about stuff that he read online and in magazines, you know, like talking about like i mean i was literally the guy in college that like our thing was like i'm gonna invite the girl over we're gonna put the scary movie on because then she gets scared and she gets into my arms like that was me as a college student you know not even just this 12 or 13 year old and then again being like oh that's kind of weird i think that's kind of weird that i did that (laughs) so it's it's funny that you know levi being or um well, Levi Luke being at that age in the film where they're very impressionable to, you know, what people tell them is okay for a guy to do and like for male behavior. And then that, and then that just keeps getting stretched and stretched more throughout the film. Like, um, right. you were, you were asking about different subgenres. Another subgenre that I was really excited about was the idea of like th- this idea of like orphan or like the young psychopath, because, it's it's another modern thing where teens, young teens, have never been smarter in like the history of civilization. They have access to mm-hmm. every everything they could possibly want to look up. They can and they do. And so we've got this. We're at this interesting time where kids have never been intellectually smarter, but there's never been a bigger gap between their intellect and their emotional intelligence. Yep. And so I, I really wanted to play with the idea of what if you had this absolutely very intelligent kid who has the emotional, like almost like, a, you know, his best friend has a higher emotional intelligence than he does, but this, this big gap where he's thinking like treating 
friendships and people, you know, people, his objects of affection, like objects. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a fun thing to look at was, was Levi to me um, or Lu- Luke's character to me, he started with one object, which is his best friend, Ed. The mm-hmm. whole movie is about him trying to possess a second object and then losing both. Yeah. Oh man. It is. Oh man. That's a lot right there because, <laughs> uh, because I, I do love that. Like it is like this, uh, it's this evolution throughout and um, you know, him, like you said, like constantly, like it started off as like, you know, uh, wanting and then it became just like control that he, that he took over the whole situation, like everything that happened um, afterwards and like one of my favorite recurring things and like with uh with Levi Miller's performance is the voice cracking through throughout like you know it, it happens at like certain times but then it always happens when he's like trying to be serious you know and it, and like it really just like shows that like he's you know it reminds you that even though you're watching someone do these crazy acts that you know would normally be committed by someone else or like you if you were envisioning an adult doing it, it wouldn't be a shock. And then it's like that happens. And then you're like, kind of remind like, Oh my gosh, this is a pubescent teenager doing these things right now. So I have to, I have to tell you a trick that I used and it worked. (laughs) So if you ever, if you ever want to have like a young terrifying performance, this works whenever he did his most horrifying acts, I always made sure to follow it up with something very childish within five seconds. Mm. So for instance, there's a moment where he's like holding his gun and literally like putting the gun barrel into the eye socket, like pressing right up against the eyelid of this, of this boyfriend of, of the babysitter. And he's like, I want you to smoke this joint. And the guy pisses himself. And then Luke immediately goes like, Oh God. And he like goes and puts on his like gloves on his gloves on. And he's like, you, you like, you're awful. You know, like he's like, he's like cleaning it up and such a childish response or like after the, you know, the big scene of the movie, the paint can scene, the hit happens. And the first thing he does is he comes racing down the stairs like it's Christmas morning. Yeah. Like just and like he's got this glee of like of, of like, oh my God, Santa left presents. And there's just a it's disturbing. Yeah. To me it's funny, but it, it, you know, especially when it's your first time through and you haven't like spent years thinking about this story, it's it's just it's disturbing behavior. Yeah, no, it get <laughs> it definitely gets funnier with the rewatches for sure. It like gets like a lot funnier. But I remember that, yeah, the first time being like like oh my god like this kid is like so like just evil and and i think that like teen horror like getting that like young teen psychopath is like such a hard thing to nail down because i mean we're so used to seeing you know the the older teens in horror movies and you know doing their thing and then like whenever you get like then when they're like super young then it's easier to explain them off as, you know, that they don't know better or, you know, that they're still learning stuff. So then when you get it into this, like, mid-range here, that's when you can, like, really have fun with, like, what, you know, he thinks is acceptable and, like, you know, like you said, like, kind of having What's the dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah, like... 
Levi was, was apologizing. He was like, I'm so sorry. Like my voice is cracking. It wasn't cracking four months ago. And when you cast me and now it is. And I was like, no, let's use it. It's the childish thing. Just make sure that whenever, you know, like you do something truly, truly terrible, let it rip. Cause it, it, it's just a reminder of how young you are. And in fact, we caught him in such a great small window because even by the time we needed to do ADR, additional uh, dialogue recording for scenes where like the, the microphone didn't pick up his, his line as well as it could have, his voice wasn't cracking anymore. Like we had, to, we had to fake it a little bit. So we caught him like right, right in that sweet spot where that was really truly his voice. Oh, that's so perfect. Like, yeah, like I was like trying to distinguish. I was like, I was like, is Levi just acting the shit out of that? Or I was like, or is that the real uh, cracking coming? The real deal. Uh, yeah, you, you really did get it in perfect. And so I think the scene that like really like shows where the movie like really is like, oh, hey, no, like this is about to be like real serious and get into some darker aspects is um the the scene where he does have um Ashley and Ricky tied up or actually no before Ricky gets there uh during the the um truth or dare scene because during that truth or dare scene I feel some this skin crawling just like nastiness whenever I watch it you know of just like the way he's thinking and like how like you know maniacal and like just also like remembering like how just like horny a a 12 and 13 year old are you know and then just to think about a like psycho doing that like him rubbing her tit and grabbing her tit is almost worse than some rape scenes i've seen because it's just like uh, I really don't like this and this is just so wrong what's happening and like that's the scene where I was like okay this kid is dark and we're about to go into some fucking crazy places right now I, th- that was perceptive <laughs> I think part of the game that we were trying to play was after the twist happens like how do you how do you keep it tense you don't know what his line is you know oh oh he's going to he's going to molest her Oh my God, that's the line. Oh, he's, he's, he stabbed the boyfriend in the face with a pencil to protect himself. He's going to damage that. And you're like, eventually once he kills Ricky, it's like, Oh, he's, he's, he's going to kill people. So the, and I, I didn't want the audience to know he was, he was capable of killing once that twist happened, because then I, I, I was worried you wouldn't be able to have fun with it. And yeah. I say fun loosely. You know, like, <laughs> I wanted it to build. So um, I'm, I'm glad even that, that truth or dare scene felt uncomfortable because I feel like if the events had happened in a different order, it might not have been quite as effective. Yeah, no, it was definitely like a really good progression. And like, I mean, I say like that is probably like the most uncomfortable scene for me. And, and I don't know like what about it is just because of the performance or like the setup of it. But like, yeah, that is like one of the most like uncomfortable scenes. And then, yeah. And then you like take it a step further with his like, you know, kid like glee of whenever he like after he stabs Ricky and then he's making him hit the joint and then noticing that the smoke comes out of his cheek and like has like a moment to like laugh about that too, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, this kid is nuts. If it makes you feel better, Child Services was on set and they made sure that there was a pillow on on Olivia's uh, chest when he did that. Thank goodness. So, they were they were both like, "Oh no, we're fine to do it for real. We want we want to have like a genuine, real like reaction 
thing and child services was like no today <laughs> they're like we we admire your spunk kid but uh, right. we're gonna deny that one and then yeah but it just keeps getting like like you said like it gets you know ramped up you know more and more and then so of course we gotta do get to the paint can scene um of of the way that he dispatches with ricky so earlier in the movie the the kids are having one of those nerdy debates that teenage boys have you know just like something offhanded and silly and i didn't really think about it the first time i watched it you know i was just like that's such a weird thing to be arguing about but okay (laughs) and then you know and then it comes back later into where levi wants to test this um theory against um home alone which of course there's lots of home alone references throughout the film and um that you get with kind of you know it like a a lot of people like to joke you know if uh what's his face in home alone like if he was a psychopath or not you know if he was like what if he was a killer well that's luke here pretty much and um so they they want to test the theory that if somebody got hit in the face with a paint can like that if it would knock them back or if it would kill them or what would happen and so we get this and the way it was filmed like oh man i remember watching it and just like watching him like going it he like gets out some rope and he's going up the stairs i'm like oh is he gonna do it oh is he gonna do it and then like he does one test swing i'm like oh shit he's gonna do it like where did where did uh the idea for that scene come from so that that was not in the original script that was part of um my wanting to I'm not going to say lighten the movie because it, it's a fucked up scene, but I, I, I wanted the the movie to have, I want, I, I definitely, because it was, you know, a, a babysitter and a 12 year old trying to, you know, uh, protect themselves during a home invasion. I was like, we, ha- we have to reference home alone. Um, it's so funny. And I have a funny story. Our lawyers were like, you can't say home alone in the movie because then, you know, uh, I forget whether it's, touchstone who, who distributed who are the distributor whoever owns home alone will will sue us because we're we're associating home alone with like something horrible mm-hmm. so i was like then i came up with the with the line oh my god you're home aloneing him and apparently if if you use it as a verb you're safe so i've discovered something i think i'm going to do this in every movie i ever do now which is at some point they reference a movie by using it as a verb yeah as a verb or an adjective i kind of don't want to give away what my next movie is but there's oh shoot do i say it there's there's a line where like dude we are not interview with the vampiring him that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) Ooh, that's a good (laughs) so you can you can do it (laughs) that's That's a a, oh it's so good oh that's a good one but oh i love that I've i've just given something away about my next movie but it's 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 awesome um yeah so so uh where did that scene come from uh I've always, so interestingly, after Better Watch Out came out, all these articles started hitting online about like the actual real physics of, you know, the, the stunts in Home Alone. Um, At the time when we were writing it, there was nothing online. I actually had to talk to like an MIT, like physics grad um, to, to figure out like, okay, what, what is the actual physics of like a one gallon paint can swinging from, you know, the, the floor above into someone's head, what would happen? And, and he was like, well, is the person standing or sitting in a chair? And I was like sitting in a chair. Okay. So his body can't move back, but his head will, that would crack his neck. And I was like, okay, 
And would he, I mean, like, is this like he, his head might crack and he's like, Oh no, your, your head would flip back onto the backside of your, your chair if it doesn't break. And I was like, perfect. So there was that. And then I, I had this image in my head of the paint splatter on the ground um, where it would look like two splatters on either side of where his head was. Oh, okay. So like if, if you look at the splatter on the ground, there's there's a gap in the middle where where the paint did not obviously splatter past his face. Um oh, yeah. and I had I had this shot that I, I didn't have time to get, which was I wanted to show Ricky's body with sitting in the kind of like a, a shot almost like we're, we're kind of like up in the air in front of him where you see him sitting there and you see the splatter on either side of him on the floor behind him, almost like angel wings. Oh, I never okay. got that shot, but I was really excited about this, this kind of like a, another reference to Christmas and, you know, like the, yeah, like a snow whole, angel, a snow angel or something. Yeah. But I never got that. I do still love the the shot that you guys did get though, of the, the close up and like just all it is, is the yellow paint. Because, you know, choosing yellow paint and then to juxtapose against the red, you know, just getting that, you know, mixed in and the them, you know, mixing in together was uh, was real nice there. I did dig. That. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to show the the impact. So I was like, what's the best possible way to not show the impact? And I think showing his shins with yellow paint drizzling down with red blood and that all mixing together was was fun. I was also thinking, like, what color should the paint be? Because, you know. The, mm-hmm. every single thing you, see in the movie, you have to choose and i was like it's actually kind of funny that they have this really nice upper class house and they had this bucket of like mustard yellow paint <laughs> like i didn't even what think room about was that. this what room was going to be like mustard yellow <laughs> yeah. it's such a gross color <laughs> yeah or, it was, or it was I... like an inside joke for me with, like with the the because the production's on it's like what color is the paint and i was like let's choose the most gaudy color possible. And we came up with yellow and it was actually in coming up with yellow that later I came up with a line of Luke telling Garrett, like, dude, you look like a fucking hot dog. Oh yeah. That works out so perfect. I mean, you gotta love some good color theory of, you know, cause you do have to separate <laughs> it, you know, you gotta separate it. So that way it's going to stick out. And, right. and I just like to think of it as like, um, suburban like families just like having full cans of paint in their house because they have it, but they're obviously not using it because they're not going to paint their own house. You know, that's the way I kind of right. look at it. I'm like, they're not painting their own house. Of course, it's full and like you know just yellow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's such a it's such a cool thing and like and yeah, and then not showing the impact, but then showing the the blurred you know um uh shot of him whenever. He opens the door mm. to listen to the carolers. You know, that's a, that was real nice. I enjoyed that, you know, and just yeah, like his, kind of his showing. body's always in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of hanging out back there. Um, I, I, you guys really, you did a lot of really cool things with like using the depth of field in certain shots to like kind of get certain gags and like things out of it. Like, you know, similar, like whenever the carolers are caroling and they see Ashley trying to escape in the background and then gets, you know, taken right back in because the carolers, you know, are, are not listening to her. So, uh, that comes from my love of airplane where like, just no matter how many times you watch that, there's almost always another joke happening in the background while another joke is happening in the foreground. And it's, it's always made me also Edgar Wright's really good at that. Yep. Like 
letting letting two stories unfold on, on different planes in, in the same frame. So yeah, you're going to see that a lot with me. I can't help that one. Yeah, no, I mean, it works that like, cause it's one of those things like, I mean, as long as you are, as long as both jokes in the shot are funny, then it works out, you know, like, right. and like, you definitely have a really good eye for that. And yeah, I was just about to say like, right after you said airplane, I was going to say Edgar Wright. Like I was like, oh yeah. Cause you know, that's kind of yeah. uh, similar to him. So definitely. But it's great for horror too. You know, like the, the strangers where you see the guy walk out mm-hmm. in, in the far background, you know, um, yeah. behind Liv Tyler. Like it's, yeah, it's it, it, having multiple things happening in the same frame is always um, there's a tension. There's a fun tension to it. There's there's many many parallels between you know filming comedy and horror for sure, and uh, sure. and you know because I mean it's basically the same thing. You're doing setup and punchlines just in different ways. It's it's tension 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 release. Mm-hmm. You just don't. And actually, that's why horror and comedy go so well together because you can ratchet the tension. And sometimes you can make it a laugh and it's like a relief or you do a scare, which is you're just kind of like punching the relief out of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, or if, or if you're like real good, the the laugh and then scare afterwards, which can be predictable, but if done oh, right man. though, if done well though, it always works out like, yeah. And then the golden, the golden ticket, which has only happened to me twice in my life is the laugh, the laugh scream where you laugh and scream at the same time. Like, yeah, just like, oh, why? Like, um, have you seen Drag Me to Hell? Yes. So there's a moment where I I laugh jumped, like where I jumped out of my seat while laughing. And the Whenever she's sitting in the car in the parking garage? In the car when she's driving and the handkerchief uh, jumps out of the AC unit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause you know, it's coming like it, the handkerchief, like hits the windshield and then kind of like squishies its way down to the, mm-hmm. to the windshield wipers. And then it disappears and you're like, Oh no, it's in the car. Oh no, where's it going to come out? So, you know, it's coming. So you're prepared to laugh. You're not prepared for the, how good this, the jump scare is. So they kind of happen at the same time. If I can get that once in my life, I will be so happy. I'm going to try for it. Like in every movie, but it's such a hard thing to pull off. No, I, I have faith. I have faith in you. You're going you're gonna to pull it off. But, you know, we're not all Sam Raimi, though, either. You know, he's a master he's, for he's a reason. He's the master. Yeah. yeah. He is a master for a reason. So, and so it's like after we get this paint can killed, then it's like, okay, where can we go from there? You know? And then, you know, so the way that um, they killed, the way you guys killed Jeremy, you know, killing him off next of you know because like now we know luke's game you know he's gonna like he's gonna call him there he's gonna do it and i was like how is he gonna do this one and oof, like this is a toughie right here like in getting him to write the letter and then using the letter and i was like oh my god i was like he got him to write a fake suicide note i was like that's insane like that is like psychopathic thinking to, to Zach Khan's credit, that was in the original script, and it was one of the moments where I, my, I had like a little brain explosion where I was like, "That was the most devious, brilliant thing to do." Zach's a messed up dude. <laughs> yeah, because like bringing that in, and like you said, like I mean, that's just like yeah, just like so diabolical, like of just like it's watching so him diabolical. do that. 
And it's just like, oh man, like, okay, like this kid is, he's, he's on level 12 right now. Like he's, he's unbeatable almost, but like Ashley to, to her credit, like you guys wrote her so, so well in that even when she is in a position of like being confined, like she still is like always thinking ahead. She's thinking of the next step. Like even when things are, you know, before the reveal and it's just like her dealing with like the issue at hand at first, like we already get a glimpse of like, oh, okay, she's not stupid. Like she knows what she's doing. Like she's ready to take steps. Like, you know, she knows what's going on. And then, so it's like, we already see that she's pretty capable, but then when she, we get the flip of Luke, you know, then it's like, okay, like, is she prepared for this? Right. We had, we had a big discussion before shooting. Cause it was, you know, like a lot of, a lot of movie sets end up being giant sausage fests where there don't get to be as many women as men. And I, I try to, I try to change that in, in the hiring, but you know, she, th- there were a bunch of teenage guys and her on, on, you know, in front of the camera. So one of the things that was really important to me was I was like, I need you to, you know, like I've had some, uh, a lot of other women kind of like do the, the, the check to make sure it's being feminist, but like, you're the only teenage girl who I've spoken to. Can you help make sure that, you know, like your character is, cause you know, it's really easy to have a movie where a girl's tied up and gagged and, and, you know, a, a teenage boy is, is messing with her. And, and, and it, there's a lot of ways for that to go misogynistic. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of came up with a few tenets. We were like, okay, she can never cry at anything oh. he does. She can never beg. Yeah. Um, she, she's never, uh, she, she can't prostate herself, you know, like, Oh, please, please stop doing this. She always has to be either toe to toe with him or one step ahead. Um, you know, and every time he has this genius move, there's that brief, like, Oh my God, what do I do? But I always made sure she either had a plan that she was enacting, you know, like with the glass shard or she was dividing her captors or, you know, like I, I, it was important to me that she was intelligent because I was worried otherwise a lot of the audience, especially women, but hopefully all the audience would be watching and just feeling it. It's not it. The, 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 I think the reason the movie ends up getting away with feeling fun is that it was feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, it could have very easily not gone that route. Yeah. I think it's, I think with like, you know, films, like this whenever you do have like you know just anytime you have a female protagonist like kind of being put in this situation like going through something i think it's easy for movies to like lose sight of the the female protagonist's agency and mm-hmm. i think you guys putting those like rules in play were how you guys were able to make sure that she never lost her agency like yeah. in any fashion of the film like you said like she was never behind but then never like was never demeaning herself or like putting herself like or acknowledging Luke is like above her in any way. Yeah. I, um, you know, Levi gets a lot of um, props online as like the standout from the movie because of how, how crazy his arc is. Mm-hmm. But I always go back to something that Olivia brought that it, it didn't even occur to me to to look for. And I just happened to, luck the hell out with with casting her was there's a majority of the movie where she 
is tied up, unable to move her body and has the lower half of her face covered where she can't talk. And yet she, you know exactly what she's thinking, not just like broad, oh, I'm angry or, oh, I'm scared. Like you can see what th- she's thinking because mm-hmm. of her eyebrows and her eyes. And she is such a good facial actor. Um, you know what she's doing right now? Mm. What? She's starring in Baz Luhrmann's next movie. She is rocketing up. Oh. She's playing Priscilla Presley in the Elvis Presley biopic. Oh, so it's yeah. like I did see that. Oh man, that's gonna be fantastic. She, like she she's going to be getting nominated for Oscars. I I again like she she definitely had the the more subtle role of the three mm-hmm. the three kind of like leads, but I can't I can't emphasize enough how hard it is what she what she pulled off. Again. We totally shot ourselves in the foot by writing a 12-year-old boy who has to pull off things actually impossible for most 12-year-old kids to do. And for this, like, protagonist babysitter who's tied up and gagged for a lot of movie, and yet you still have to feel really connected and, and get exactly what she's thinking and so on. So we really lucked out. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, I mean, yeah, the eyes, like her eyes and eyebrows, like in the way that she was moving, like, you know, like even just like between like the subtle creases in her forehead, like even that I was just like, oh, man, like or and she'd be like tied up and like kind of like the way that her hands were like moving even though her like face is mm-hmm. covered up, but like her hands are fiddling with something and like doing something with her foot. Like, yeah, just like all, all the little nuances. Like she definitely brought like, yeah, a very nuanced performance. Um, and she, she termed it bracting. She was like, Oh, I'm going to be eyebrow acting today. <laughs> I bracting. I like it. Yeah. And like, in right. oh, that literally day of bracting. And that literally was some the the biggest like standout that I had in this most recent rewatches. Like you said, like obviously it's like easy to appreciate what Levi's doing. He's you know a very it's a very showy performance for sure. Versus you know Ashley um, having the the more subtle character and things to work with. And then yeah, I was just watching. I was like yeah, I was like man, Olivia like really did kill it in this. Like even in just like the the you know final shot of. Uh, Ashley going into the hospital into the ambulance I mean like still like barely anything and like the the bird like that's like one of like the best executed flipping of the birds like I've seen in a movie thank you (laughs) like very very well executed there I'm several years removed from the movie now so you know I, I haven't watched in a while because I've got it memorized but the things that stick with me so many years later is like again something that was I think we were a little bit aware of when we were writing, but it wasn't really apparent until like those three actors were on screen together. But like Levi was this, um, uh, not ringleader type character, like big brash pulling off crazy things that you don't see from a 12 year old. Then you've got this really subtle kind of like grounded performance from Olivia and then Ed balanced those two out with just kind of like goofy heart, but really like he, he, he's really good with comedy, but the thing that Ed brought to it was heart. Like you, once Olivia's tied up, I can't, I can't get over the fact that so many of the scenes you're actually watching it from Garrett's perspective yeah. as he's realizing like, Oh man, my friend is not, as good as I thought he was. And and he kind of becomes the moral compass of the movie. 
Yeah, I was I was just gonna touch on uh, Ed's performance as well. Yeah, he he really did balance it out because he is you know known for his more comedic performances and like and he brings like the goofiness, but he also does bring that relatability between totally. you know between um you know there's a really distinct friendship between like you know two teenage boys and like one that obviously like comes from a little bit better of a um background and like you know from his family standpoint and then like you know the way that that kid in that friendship sometimes looks down on that other on that other um friend you know and it's like i've been i'm i've been i'm usually garrett you know in in Mm. those past friendships so it's like i i totally see that and then just of that you know he obviously like has his back and stuff but then yeah like once he realizes like you know that he's just like kind of being used He's like genuinely like then he's not even scared about like the situation with Ashley anymore. He's just like hurt that his friend did this and lied to him. You know, like there's still the stuff going on with uh, with Luke and Ashley and 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 Garrett is still hung up about, oh, you lied about my hamster. You know, like like that's where like he just genuinely like cares about that friendship. And um, and he really does like sell that until like. I mean, at the very, you know, last moment where I was like, is Luke going to kill his best friend? And like, and by that point, you know, Garrett meant nothing to, to, to Luke anymore. You know, like he saw him as an object and he fucking did it. And it's a recurring. And he crossed the one line. I said, you're not allowed to touch her. Yeah. No. And and then like that's when Luke like has his like biggest like spaz out moment of just ah fuck you like he like just like has yeah. he like really doesn't process what he just did or like the whole situation there like that's and that's like a killer scene like that's heartbreaking. So, on the page, he was supposed to shoot Garrett, and then storm into the other room and throw a tantrum off screen. I wanted to see like Ooh. pillow feathers flying and like his shadow in flickering firelight or something. And you just don't see it because it's so awful. And then he comes back completely, you know, like stoic again and being mm-hmm. like, um, you know, I didn't care about him anyways. Right. And then when we got to that scene, Levi was like, I really want to do it on camera. And I was like, no, it's going to be really hard to pull off because you have to, you have to go like, at this point, I already knew that he was a very, very capable actor. But like, this is this. A, I call this scene a motherfucker scene, where like he has to go into rage mode, and then pull it back to completely stoic. And he won up to me. He goes into rage, and did you notice he started to cry mm-hmm. during? So he, during his during his tantrum, he started to cry, and he literally sucked up his own tears and then went stoic. Like he was get, he was getting annoying anyways. And when he turned away, I remember I called cut and the whole crew goes, oh, my God. And they're all freaking out because it's definitely his most impressive take in the movie that he. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I yeah. Still get, I, I got such shivers watching it. So I'm so glad he pushed to do it in front of camera. I even by then, I did not know how far Levi Miller could go. When, when he says he can go places. He's he's like a, a Leonardo DiCaprio. He's capable of anything. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say Christian Bale is who I see. Yeah. In Levi. Like, like even like when you like 
like I even put in my note like the point when he sucks in his tears because like that's such a distinct like to that age of like two because you like you know like whenever you're that age and like your your line between anger and sadness is like so just like blurred and like that would happen a lot of the times that you you're trying to be angry and then you just start crying you know and you didn't know why so like yeah like kind of like inverting that is like just like whoa like and yeah there there were tears in his eyes and he made sure they didn't didn't fall fall. (laughs) like yeah i I think of levi as like he's 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 capable of of he he's absolutely capable of the stuff that like leonardo caprio or christian bale could do and i think of ed as like seth rogan like not only is he funny but he's like comfortable and very human and and you just relate to him like yeah oh man yeah these yeah these young actors are just gonna they're gonna be doing some big things like really like i think so like the the my one other favorite scene um like a little nuance from uh luke is like whenever he after he invites ricky over and then like ricky comes and they like kind of go back and forth and he like gets the good swinging with the bat and they starts dancing with it he like does like a singing into the bat and he like starts dancing with it and then and it's like you know he's like all cocky and then you know then just gets like knocked out like knocked down again himself um i really love that scene like like that's the like the christian bale like patrick bateman like vibes i was feeling from him i was like i was like oh because he was like perfectly awkward about it too you know is good Can i tell you a very sad story that was my favorite scene in the script because um i thought we were going to be able to get the rights to last christmas by wham in fact the song that we have during that scene is great but i wrote it so that he he knocks ricky out and that's right at the timing of the refrain starting and he just pulls the bat up to his face like a microphone and he starts singing and singing into his bat like a microphone while dancing and it was going to be like this michael michael madsen moment yeah. from, from reservoir dogs and it was he did i wish i could release these these oh so you filmed it to, to oh, so you filmed it to that song cue we, as well we filmed seven takes like that and then one safety take in case we couldn't get the the rights oh. to and his he was like twirling the bat and singing into it kind of like Fred Astaire or something like Levi is actually a really good dancer at the end of the movie when he's kind of like putting all the weapons away yeah, and, yeah. And, and dancing like some people say like oh you must have gotten some dancer to because you don't see his face it was Levi he's an incredible dancer oh yeah. I, maybe someday I'll slip this footage online and get in trouble for it but it's it it yeah. would have maybe be been one of the most memorable scenes in the movie if if uh, we'd been able to get away with that. Yeah, you know, just like it, it would have been just a, a little bit more of a you know more iconic needle drop that well, would have happened for it. Ironically, um, every like all the all the representatives of the song, you know, were were okay with it. Um, George Michael's reps were okay with it and finally the question came to George Michael like is it okay if and he read the script and was like I don't want my my song associated with this movie 
And at some point I thought maybe, maybe one day I'll be able to go talk to George Michael and like talk him and like just explain to him why it was so important. But he died like several months after <laughs> he said no. So I was like, okay, well, oh. there went that chance. <laughs> oh man. These have been some of my favorite, uh, some of my favorite stories. Every director I've had on the show so far has had a story about um, <sighs> trying to get song rights. And like how much of a bitch it's that is, so hard. and like it's so expensive and so hard. Yeah, I'm like I'm a music centric guy. Like I'm I like some of the like film like like film I'm writing right now. I'm like, ooh, this is already gonna be a bitch to try get. You know, some of these like uh, '70s disco songs that I'm gonna be shooting for, but we'll see. But like, I'm just like, I know it's like hard to like not get attached to it, but I'm just always like, ah, but this scene, like this is the one song. <laughs> Because you write that scene to the song because you're you're so you know inspired by it. But I will say, make sure you have rights before you shoot it if you're planning on it actually being like physically a part of the scene, like like mm-hmm. I wrote. So Yeah. But uh um, yeah, one of these days, um, you know, it might just you know, it might just pop up one day. It might just be a little Christmas gift to to the kiddos one day. My hard drive got broken into. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no. Trump. It was Trump. Oh. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so the movie, you know, they finish up and, you know, Luke, of course, because at this point his, you know, brain is operating on another level. He is getting everything back into place and doing his thing. Um, the scene, um, whenever he like has to like go out the window to like, you know, replace the pencil and all that jazz. Whenever he like knocks over the the deers and he just goes fucking deers makes me laugh every <laughs> single time. Like just the way he says it like cracks me up. That was him. Oh, that's just uh, yeah. Him just he, he, it was a throwaway line because like he, he that that was a scene where obviously we couldn't get microphones. Like we, you know he he was up on an actual roof of a house mm-hmm. doing that. So we we had a lav on like a a little uh, mic you know, attached to his, to his PJs, but like it was outdoors. He was crunching on snow. Like the, the sound wasn't going to be good. So he's, that was a scene that we did in ADR where he's in this sound booth having to make, make vocals for it. And the scene, there's no talking during the scene. There's no, like, he's not going to be talking to himself while trying to get away with tonight. (laughs) So there's nothing. And so he's just, Levi was just sitting there in the booth being like, why am I here? We're not so oh, just kind of dicking around, so he's like, <laughs> you know, picking up the deer. He just came up with fucking deers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty. His mouth doesn't move, but I, I was like, I hope people don't notice because it's such a good line. <laughs> oh yeah. It's too good of a line. And yeah, like even if I did notice like his mouth not moving, like I wouldn't even care. Cause yeah, it's just, I think it's, his, his mouth good. goes right behind the deer. Like you, you lose sight of his mouth right when we say the line. So, yeah, we just, have to get in there somewhere. Just aces. Uh, absolutely love it. So to kind of wind down the conversation, um, for our little outro, of course, I gotta talk about the ending. So at the end of the movie, you know, we get that little stinger of Luke saying, "Stick oh, around for the credits." There's there's a little scene about 60 seconds into the credits. Yeah. And, uh, we get like a little stinger in there of Luke saying he wants to go visit Ashley at the hospital. So when you shot that, was it because you guys already had an idea in mind for something in the future? Or was it just kind of like, eh, if we're able to make it like, or, you know, what was it? 
so we knew we wouldn't actually be able to shoot this sequel. I wanted to reference Halloween 2. That's exactly what I thought. And I just watched Halloween 2 the other day. Because it's it's like teenage version of, of Halloween and Halloween, except Christmas. Um, but like in order to actually shoot that movie, everyone would have had to be be the same age because it would have to happen that same night. And um, I was talking to Christopher Landon about uh, shooting Happy Death Day to You, the sequel. And he was like, because that that movie takes place on the same day that Happy mm-hmm. Death Day does. But they shot it like a year and a half later. And he was like, it was a nightmare. Yeah. I making heard- everyone look the same age because they had all aged a little bit. And I was like, try imagine that, that was hard with people who were like 18 to 22 years old. Exactly. Imagine a 12 year old looking the same a, a year or two later because Levi grew, I'll say, I'll say six inches in the next year after we shot that. Like he, he got as tall. I, I have a picture on Instagram if you ever want to check it out. Where like he's as tall as I am now. Uh-huh. Um, so there was no way we were going to actually be able to shoot that sequel. I do have a sequel in mind. Zach and I have been talking about it. It takes place years later mm. um, when when Luke is released from juvenile prison. Oh. Um, and. And we we look at the the new relationship uh, of of Ashley and Luke, um, and and kind of how, how this has affected both of them. And it's a great horror idea. Um, we haven't written it yet, but I I want to I, I want to ri- wait for like the right the right uh, the right energy for it. And of course, we have the greatest title ever for it. Do you want to tell us, or is that a... better not cry? Ooh, ah, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I dig that idea, and like that's so funny because I was just watching Halloween two the other day, and then I watched it, <laughs> and then I rewatched uh, Bear Watch Out this morning. I go, I go, huh? I go, I go. Is that a? I go. Is that a Halloween two reference? I go. But if it is, I go. They wouldn't be able to do it because of the the growing thing, and I, that's a literally what I was thinking. So better watch out was like a, a fun twist on the home invasion genre. And the second movie would be a fun twist on the like campus. Um, like campus, like campus stalker. stalking campus stalking genre. Ooh. Yeah. I could totally go for that. And like seeing, yeah. Like what a, what a hardened Luke would, would be like, but like also mm-hmm. him still like that super. Ooh. 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 Let's uh, hope it gets made. Um, whatever the fans need to do, we will make this happen because <laughs> I am all be, over Be this. vocal online. Yes. Studios pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. And, and also it, rent the movie and get your friends to watch them. The more, the more it's been watched, the more likely you can get a, a, a sequel made for something. Yeah. And this, I mean, I hope it has been like kind of how it's been for me is like, I remember like uh, the first time I watched this, I remember I watched it and then I, re- whenever like Christmas time came around, cause this came, I remember I saw it in like November or something. And then, so mm-hmm. whenever it came back around in December, um, this was like, Ooh, this will be a great movie to show my sisters. And like, we watched it on and we watched it on Christmas Eve. They loved it. And then it like turned into like a like yearly thing of like, then the next year came around. They're like, Hey, what was, uh, what was that one movie we watched last year? I want to show mom oh, and dad now. Awesome. 
So it's like become like one of my perennial like wintertime Christmas time watches and hopefully um it becomes that way for a lot of other people. I definitely do see it pop up on um, you know, some list and um some editorial articles out there for sure. Very cool. Yeah. If if I can end on anything, it's we did we did an experiment at the end of the movie. And for for all of your, you know, listeners listening right now, I'm I'm really curious if this worked. By the end of the movie, you're hating Luke. Like some people to the point of not liking the movie because they're so angry at this at this like like punch punch him in the face 12 year old villain mm-hmm. right um and i wanted to pull an experiment which was can i get the audience to root for him to get away with this so because by you know by the time he's mm-hmm. trying to balance the pencil and then trying to get away with it and his parents are coming you're not thinking like, catch him, catch him. You're thinking, oh my God, is he going to get away with this? And like, oh shoot, he, he knocked over the deer. Are they going to see it? And at some point I wanted the audience to realize, oh my God, I'm rooting for him right now. How'd this happen? Hmm. I wonder, I, I wonder where people will fall on the scale of it too. Like I'll say for myself, I was definitely like, I was hoping he would get caught. Like I was, you were hoping you would get caught. See, a I was, lot of people, I was, it was a reverse Ferris Bueller's to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was just like, because I was just like, I was like, I was like, I know he's like on another level right now, but like, there's got to be a detail. Or I was like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, is, are they really going to believe that he slept through this entire thing? Like, I know he did like take like the sleeping pills and, and the pencil thing. I was like, something's like, come on. Like, uh, like I just, I was hoping like maybe there was a, a blood droplet still That's on the pencil funny. or something like that. I was wanting him to get caught. And then, so like, when you hear that, that EMT go, this one's still alive. Oh yeah. And then I was like, and then. Um, and I love the the like little line that they have of like again like proving just like how like capable Ashley was. Though I was like, oh yeah, she covered it with some duct tape because like Luke had been using the duct tape on her like all night and stuff. And then he was like, yeah, hey, cover it with duct tape, saved her some blood. And I was just like, I was like, damn, Ashley's good. I was like, fuck yes. That was so. I'll tell you where that that solution came from. Um, I was thinking, what's the most feminist possible way for her to save herself and i was like oh she uses the thing that they were using to silence her for the whole movie to save her life boom oh man that totally i love that (laughs) i love that because it is like such a it's a good inversion but like yet again it's like also like not like it was something like drawn attention to and um, it's just a little little thing you might you may notice yeah and like kind of like um like doing that and like kind of um, I don't know if it was, I don't know if you can verify this IMDB trivia about, um, that him drawing the lipstick on the duct tape was a Charlie's Angels reference. Is this true? Or did Is somebody, IMDb? yeah, <laughs> somebody, somebody said that it was like a reference to in the two thousands, Charlie's Angels where one of them is duct tape. And then like also, use uh uses the chair to like break out and uses the chair as a weapon and they're like oh yeah look at look at peck over oh my god pulling no, from charlie's I, angels so i have embarrassingly never seen the charlie's angels remake um the lipstick on the 
on the duct tape was me saying, what's the most humiliating, but also childish thing that Luke could do? Because that's the, like yep. one of the first things he does when we, when Ashley comes to, I was like, how do I, how do I establish the new tone in a way that makes you laugh and feel uncomfortable at the same time? Yeah, because it's kind of like a thing where he's like, "Oh, well, I'm gonna close your mouth, but now I draw your lips because they're mine now." And like, your and then voice he makes her talk. He like squeezes her cheeks, and he's like, "Hello, I am so pretty." I forget, I forget yeah. what he says, but like, it's just awful. It's it's an awful, you know, licking the lick, licking a public bathroom floor kind of feeling. Five yeah. minutes after we come to. Yeah, it's definitely gross, but uh, that's hilarious. I love that. I love that IMDb trivia is just open to people putting stuff in it. Like you literally can just edit it yourself, and I think that's hilarious. I I did not know that was there. That makes me want to go see what other trivia there is. Well, look at that. Me and you both learned some new things about your movie today. Thank you so much for uh, coming by the podcast. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. Um, is there anything, I know you are working on another movie, but like what that you can talk about that you'd like to shout out to the audience? At this point, I've got several movies all somewhat close to getting made. So I actually don't know which is going to be the next one. You know, I'd love to say, well, the next one's going to be, but I'll say one of them. Um, I hate vampire movies. I hate hate vampire movies i think with the exception of let the right one in and like maybe uh coppola's dracula i i just don't i don't get the genre which is why it was so important to me to to make a vampire movie so I, that are we are not interviewed at the vampiring end is a line okay. unfortunately that i just gave away i there, i have i have a vampire movie stirring and and Hopefully, gonna find a home soon. Um, I'm also, uh, yeah, I'm I'm collaborating with Christopher Landon on two movies. Ooh. So I think those are gonna go first because he's got the power of, you know, eight hundred horses. Yeah, I love that. I love that pairing though because you guys are definitely very much on similar wavelengths for tone. So I'm very intrigued to see how you guys like. Because I was also. That's so crazy that you say that because I was comparing, like I was thinking of um, Olivia's performance as Ashley and I was thinking of comparing it to um, to Tree in Happy Death Day. Totally. Like just in their performances are both like very similar. And I was like, whoa. Here's how Christopher Landon is so prolific and writes so many great movies that he actually doesn't have time to direct them all. So he actually reached out to me. He was like, hey, here's this project that I was supposed to direct, but I, I, I can't fit it into my schedule. Would you, you know, no, no pressure, but like the studio has already approved you and Jason Blum has already approved you. And this hasn't been announced, by the way. So I, I hope I'm not saying too much, but like he, he basically on a silver platter was like, hey, here's this awesome script. Do you want to, you know, no pressure if you don't like it, but would would you like to take over? And of course, it's incredible and I'm so excited to be working on it with them. And he's such a great talk about like the nicest collaborator I've ever worked with. He's such a sweet, good person Uh, as I'm sure you can tell from his movies and from his presence online. Uh, We love to hear it. We love the collaboration, especially, you know, when we keep it within the horror community, within the genre fam, 
I absolutely yes. love it, and I'm excited for any of the films that you have working to be uh to be made into fruition. So thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Again, I learned so much in these conversations with filmmakers, you know, just as an aspiring filmmaker myself, but then just also as a horror fan, you know, you definitely get to, um, you know, learn a lot when you get to hear it straight from the filmmaker's mouth. And I really um, love um, everything that Chris had to say about his film. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I definitely in 2021, we'll be aiming to having more filmmakers on the podcast because um, those are my favorite episodes. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love them because it's just like really cool to get to talk to a filmmaker and like tell them like, hey, I really love this about your film. And then them be like, oh, I'm glad you like that because I put this in because of this. And it's like, ah, like that's my shit, guys. So um, we have just two more episodes left in 2020, guys. Um, I'm glad that I made it to the end of the year for the podcast. Um, the last episode of the podcast will be episode 35. That's pretty cool. And the last episode of 2020 will be a best of episode, uh, best of 2020, where I will have Johnny the Horror Hack. He was on the show a few months ago. And he is returning, and we are going to be talking about our uh, top six films of the year. We're going to give out some awards, the first annual Bloodies. And yeah, we're going to talk about um, just all, we're going to talk about just the year 2020 in the horror genre as a whole. So I'm very excited for that episode. And, um, you know, it is. Christmas time, and if you guys would like to give me a little gift, I would love, love a five-star iTunes review. If you guys could just go on there, rate the podcast five stars, write a few sweet little words, or not sweet words if you want. I like dirty talk as well. Just leave a nice review um, because I would love for the podcast to reach many, many more ears in 2021. Um, so yeah, that would be just a big thank you and make sure you guys are subscribed as well, but that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. Subscribe for new episodes every Tuesday. Next week, we have the Black Christmas special, so make sure you guys are subscribed. You don't want to miss that. Follow the podcast page on Twitter and Instagram at BloodyBluntCC, and of course, follow me underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.